good to come together and just worship Jesus, isn't it? Um, you know, as, as we get into this time, uh, this teaching time, I, I just want to share something that, that's been on my heart in the last, uh, the last week. Um, it got just really revealed to me and, and as I was at a staff meeting the other day and as I met with some of other, our other leaders. It revealed to me how much the people around me really, genuinely love Jesus. And he started, I think the Lord's just been speaking some things to me. Um, we try to, we try to be somewhat, we try to seek humility. <laughs> um, we, we try to be somewhat self-deprecating to where we, we don't make much of ourselves. Um, and, and even in saying that, it doesn't seem very humble to, to proclaim it. But the, the objective is God help us to be humble to where we make much of you. But you know what happens in, sometimes in doing that is we can, we can suppress the reality of, of a real heart for God. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, again, as I, I got around some of you guys this past week, just seeing in, in your eyes and, and reading in your hearts just this immense love for Jesus as if God was saying, yes, I loved you first, and it's because of my love that you love me, but he's like, Dave, look around you, these, these men and women, they love Jesus, they love me, and, and even, it, like he was speaking into my heart, he said, Dave, you've got a long way to go, but you love me, and you love me because I've changed your heart, and it's actually a faith issue to believe that if God has changed your heart, that he actually gives us the love to give back to him. And so we don't have to, we don't have to feel like it's, it's um, a boastful or an arrogant thing to say that we love Jesus. And so I want you to know something. Man, I love Jesus. And I'm surrounded by men and women and a bunch of students and kids that love Jesus. And that's a reason why this church exists is because Jesus loves us and, and we love him. As a result of him changing our hearts we do love him. And that's the reason why we're gathered today is to come and we just say, Jesus, we, we love you and we celebrate your love for us and we celebrate even that we're able to love you. And so uh, my invitation to you today is that you come in and, and that you just even ponder that and just say, God, help me to love you more because I need to love God a lot more. And so do you. But through it, that you would you just honestly say that it would well up within you that you would know and you'd proclaim, I love Jesus. And that you look around and you look around the people around you that are worshiping and having communion and listening to preaching that you just know that, man, we love Jesus. He has changed us. We only loved ourselves before. And now it's a mix of loving ourselves and loving Jesus. And so we ask God for his love to increase and our love for ourselves to decrease, which will actually be beneficial for us. So um, I, I just felt led to, to bring that to your attention that, man, I, I'm so pleased with the love that I see for Jesus among you guys. And uh, I hope that you are involved with the journey group. And if you're not, plug in, plug in deeply, uh, that we learn more how to love Jesus together, how to live, live out his life and press each other into the hard, the hard things of, of how, we love, how we love God.
y'all hang tight. I need to set the set my watch here. Um, today we're we're uh, doing part two on Islam, bringing from Muhammad to, to today. And I have I got to be honest with you. Um, I've been struggling with this message for for weeks. Um, and the reason is, is there's there's so much information to cover. I, I can't cover I can't cover all the information. I can hardly cover any of the history, really, within the amount of time that I've got to preach from last week and this week. And and so it's been it's been really a challenge in, in praying about it and thinking through it of like, okay, God, what are the things that I'm to hit? And and, and there's going to be stuff that I don't hit. I I encourage you. I hope that when we leave today that there will be more questions that you have about Islam than you have answers, and that you'll do research. And, uh, I mean, research through, through the secular channels, and if you want, if you want something from a gospel perspective, um, then come talk to me, and I'll, I'll recommend some authors that will give accurate history, but they'll give it through a gospel-based uh, paradigm. And uh, so, so let's talk, because it's very important that you understand what is going on, what's happened in the world since Islam was born, uh, all the way to now, it's very relevant. I mean, every week, it seems like every day, you turn on uh, CNN or, or whatever your news channel option is, or whatever, wherever you go online, I mean, there's, there's something about what's going on in the Middle East, um, something about Islam, something about how it would clash maybe with the West, or to, to other folks, maybe even clashes with Christianity. Um, and so, I, I, again, I, I hope that you will do more research and pray because um, your exposure to friends and colleagues and maybe even enemies that are Muslim is just going to increase uh, as the years progress. Um, a quick summary about Muhammad, and we, if, if you want more information, we went into more detail last week, and so you can check that out online with a vodcast or a podcast. But this guy was married at, at 25 um, after being orphaned at 6. Um, during the month of, of Ramadan, um, which was already, you know, that was the month you know, in, the, in their calendar, he would fast and pray. It's the reason why uh, now, uh, the month of Ramadan for 40 days, uh, they challenge Muslims to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, when he was 40, he had his first vision, supposedly from Gabriel. And he began to write down these messages and started coming out with, I mean, he was a, he was a poet, started writing prose, uh, these, these stories, um, these ideals of how to live, stories about what took place with God and when, how, how God has come to man and how you're supposed to live. Uh, according to Muhammad, Islam is the original monotheistic religion, that Islam, he would say, predates Christianity and Judaism, and now obviously he knew, he knew that that what he was writing was things that had not been written before. But he was saying these are things that that go before Christianity and before Judaism. Ultimately, uh, stating that the, the Jews and the Christians have perverted the real message of of God. Um, it was his attempt to fix what he saw corrupted in the two. Religions, uh, Christianity and Judaism, and obviously among all the other pagans that worshipped other gods. Um, as I've been preparing for this, 
there have been some similarities that I've seen between him and Joseph Smith. And it, it doesn't go too far, but just, just to give you a little bit of a test, a taste, Joseph Smith, he's the one who uh, started um, uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormonism. And with him, there was an angel named Moroni that came and gave, gave him golden plates with the history of ancient Americans who were Jews. It was written in an unknown language. Um, he ended up writing the Book of Mormon. And he connected himself to the God of Judaism and Christianity. If you compare that to what Muhammad did yet many centuries before, Muhammad was visited by an angel too. It is their story. Gabriel. Gabriel was the one who revealed Allah to him among all the pagan worshippers that were there in Mecca and there in Arabia. And like Joseph wrote um, the Book of Mormon, he wrote the Quran. And he also connected himself to the God of Judaism and Christianity. Yet Mormonism, even though now they do proclaim they're Christians, when they, when they originated, they, um, they condemned Christianity. Joseph Smith... Um, Brigham Young, others, they condemned Christianity. They, they absolutely would not have connected themselves with Christianities. In the last few, few decades, they have uh, they've changed, uh, they've done a, a huge um, shift in, in uh, their, their viewpoint um, to where now they say that they're, they're a Christian religion. Um, uh, Islam certainly would not say that they're a Christian religion or that they're a Jewish religion, but they'd say that they're the father or mother of Judaism and, and of Christianity. Um, as Muhammad was writing, he, he started spreading this with his his view of, of Islam um, to uh, to his family. Uh, and the first converts were I mean, his, his wife, his uncle, uh, some cousins. I mean, it was kind of a family thing uh, as it as it began. But then it, it began to grow a little bit. Um, but finally, the people of Mecca, um, they, they started, they were refusing him and refusing this, this new religion because they were paganistic. Um, they worshipped many gods, polytheistic. They believed in many gods. That temple that now is the center in Mecca called the Kaaba, which we talked about last week, this was a temple where they had many gods, many idols were there. Many gods were worshipped at that Kaaba uh, where... Uh, where Muhammad uh, was born and, and raised. And so he, he knew this. But what he did is he, he denounced their worship of other gods and said, no, 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 there is only one God. And, and as we talked about last week, he'd been exposed through traveling in caravans. He'd been exposed to elements of Christianity and through elements of Judaism. And so there was a truly a syncretism, a blending of faith, a blending of, of beliefs that took place. And he, he kind of, uh, synthesized it in his own mind and he came out with the Quran and he came out with these beliefs which connected with some of the beliefs of the Jews and the Christians. And he called Jews and he called Christians people of the book. And, and he, he was a very charismatic guy. Uh, I, I mean the big story of him, he was a religious leader and he was a political leader. He was a military leader. Um, I mean, he was, a, he was amazing at leading at both of these. But he, he, he imagined 
that the Jews and the Christians were going to readily accept what he had and, and they were going to repent for, for what they didn't believe or where, where he thought that they had messed up in, in their beliefs. Well, the Jews and the Christians, they both rejected this new teaching. You know, this is, well, this is a cult, you know, to them. This is, this is not, this is not right. This is not belief. And yet he was, he kept pointing back and just saying, no, 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 we're people of the book too. We believe, we believe in the Old Testament and, and they followed, they, they would follow the, the books of Moses, the Torah, the books, uh, the writings of David in particular, the, the Gospels, the stories of Jesus and the Quran. Those were their four holy books, what they would say. People of the book. Um, but very discouraged when they didn't, they didn't take to his, to his religion. Finally, though, Meccan, the Meccans, uh, they, they pressed him so hard to where they, they were about to kill him. And he and his followers, they fled to Medina about 300 miles north. From there... From there, he started leading some brutal attacks on caravans that were going around. They were right in the middle of some trade routes in Arabia, this Arabian Peninsula that's, that's at the, uh, the, the northwest uh, tip of, uh, of Africa and in, going into the Middle East. That Arabian Peninsula, that wilderness that's there, there were a lot of trade routes that would go through. And so they started, they started having more converts after they started... Uh, being successful in these raids, um, they stole they stole um, much treasure. They held they held people for ransom, and the money started rolling in and rolling in. And as as it kept rolling in, their power his his power base just continued to increase. There would be more converts, and he'd start he'd start acquiring uh, soldiers, um, hired them as mercenaries to help him as they would go and attack more caravans. And these were just Arabians uh, or Persians. They didn't believe. They didn't believe what he believed, but he was paying them. And as time went by, more and more of them started being converted uh, to to the ways of Islam. Um, at years down the road, um, Mecca finally was attacked by them, and they won. And and they there was hardly any bloodshed that took place at. At that point, um, although that'd be like the only battle that was almost bloodless. But he came in, took over Mecca, shut down the Kaaba, uh, got rid of all of the idols, and made it only a shrine, only a temple to Allah, the one God uh, within, within Islam. Eventually, they put out, or they murdered, all the Jews in Medina. Uh, they, they had a particular vengeance at that point towards towards the Jews, and not as much with the, the Christians. And, 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 and Islam grew, the, the, the term for all those who were non-Muslims, they called them dhimis. And uh, so, but they, but they had uh, very oppressive rules and sanctions upon any dhimis, but they in particular um, took it out on, on the Jews. And again, that you can see why, it's because they were both, they were Abrahamic, Abrahamic um, peoples. Um, the Jews were people of Isaac, the descendants of Isaac, and uh, the Muslims would say that they are descendants of Ishmael. So they, they took, uh, they took a specific difficulty uh, with, with their faith. Um, he, uh, uh, Muhammad ended up, as his power base started increasing, 
uh, as they went out and started conquering Arabia, um, he started taking more and more wives. Uh, there was a point in which he married the wife that was uh, of one of his close friends that later on was known as his favorite wife. He married her when she was nine years old, somewhere around nine years old. Um, pretty messed up. Um, some of the foundations about, about Islam, the, the, the term itself just means submission, and, and it's, it's assumed that you understand it's submission to Allah. Uh, Muslim really just means one who submits. And it's a fairly simple religion because it's all about these rules. It's all about these laws. And it starts out with what's called the five pillars. And these are your five primary obligations that, that you have being a Muslim. But, but they, in, in similar ways to what the Jews had done, they had marked out everything you're to do in your religious part of your life and in, in your family part of life and how you conduct business and how you eat. They had rules and regulations for everything that basically all you had to do was just kind of look it up in the dictionary of rules to find out what is it that I'm supposed to do? The five pillars. Um, the first one is called the Shahada, which is the basic creed of Islam. And this basically was their testimony that there is none worthy of worship except God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. You've probably heard that. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. If any of you go overseas, if you go to the Middle East, um, I mean, if you just watching videos and the prayer temples. I mean, you'll hear that they'll proclaim it in Arabic, um, but you'll hear people proclaim this uh, as well. This is actually uh, their their version of how they how they recognize someone who's converted. It only takes two Muslims to stand to stand in witness to someone who proclaims this message, who proclaims, "I testify." That there's none that's worship, there's none that's worthy of worship except Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And if you do that, then you're now you you're now recognized as being converted into a Muslim. Okay? So so it starts there. That's the first pillar of the faith. The second pillar is called the Salah, the Salat, and that's their ritual prayer. This is done five times a day, and it's done facing towards Mecca. And, and if, if you see, if you look at some of these pictures, what they'll do is, is, is there will be millions of people that will, that will be a part of the Hajj once, you know, once a year to come in. Their pilgrimage to Mecca, well, they'll come in. And the Kaaba is this, is this stone temple right in the middle of all this. And you can see millions that are bowed, and they're all facing towards the Kaaba. Well, so for anyone, anyone who is a Muslim here, they just turn on their prayer mat or in, in their mosque. And they will, they will, they will pray, and they will bow, and they will, they will stand. There, there's different bodily positions. They will stand at times. They will bow at times. They will get on their knees sometimes, and sometimes they'll be completely prostrate. And it's ritualistic, you know what they do. Five times a day, uh, you must, you must do this. And there's some other prayers that you do throughout the year, but that's the primary, primary way of praying. The third pillar of. of Islam is called the zakat, or it's alms guilt, alms giving, and they have a specific way uh, to give to the poor. That you're commanded that there's a fixed portion that's, that you spend to give to the poor and to the needy, and that you give towards 
the spreading of Islam. Number four is the psalm, or it's fasting during the month of Ramadan. And again, not allowed to eat or drink from dawn to dusk during that, during that month. They're, they're allowed to eat and drink after that. But during, during the daytime, uh, they, they fast and pray for 40 days. Uh, the fifth thing, the Hajj, and that's the pilgrimage to the city of, of Mecca. And they, they ask for every able-bodied able Muslim in the world to some point in their life to make a pilgrimage to Mecca during their time. Um, so so this, this is the beginning of, of understanding Islam is, is these five pillars and the works that you must do. And from those five works, there springs all these other works that you must do, that you must pursue to try to gain the favor of God, of Allah. Of Allah. They, uh, they recognize Jesus in, uh, in Islam. Uh, his name in, in, uh, in Islamic faith is Isa. Uh, but he is one of the 20 plus prophets in Islam. Um, they, uh, with, within the Quran and some of their other teachings, the, the, what they teach about Jesus, there's, they take a lot of the stories about Jesus from the Gospels and they reinterpret them. Their vantage point of Jesus was that he was born to the Virgin Mary when, when Gabriel came and gave her divine inspiration. They believed that Jesus was born under a dead tree that sprang back to life once he was born. And that he was immediately able to speak, and therefore he was able he was he was able to defend his mother Mary from the slanderous uh, attempts uh, to sully her, you know, because she was a virgin born at uh, this time. They they say that he did miracles um, that and that even Jesus's disciples remained skeptical that he was a prophet, and, and of course that's. That's their vantage point. He was not God, not within Islam. He was, he was a prophet. He was one who was a truth teller. He was one who proclaimed Allah, according to Islam. Um, so they, even though he did these miracles, the, his disciples doubted it. But they say that God sent a, a golden table down from heaven every morning and raised it up every evening for 40 days. And that that table had a bunch of fish on it, and it miraculously satisfied thousands of people who ate it, and all who were sick or, or lame, um, that they were they were cured. That's their version of some of our parables. And the crucifixion, when he was 33, according to to Islam, he was arrested by the Israelites, who sentenced him to death by crucifixion, and and so again. This is part of the reason why they, they would have a hatred toward the Jews because you killed our prophets. Esau was our prophet and you killed him. Um, and there's been some Christians, by the way, over the years, over the centuries that have, had, that have had a hatred towards the Jews because the Jews killed Jesus. Did the Jews kill Jesus? Yes, they did. Are they the only ones? No, they're not. The Gentiles, the Romans... All of us were part of killing Jesus. Those of the, is the faith of Israel and those who worshipped other gods, those who were non-theistic at all, they're all a part of the 
crucifixion of our Lord, and our blood is, uh, was upon Jesus. And that's a horrible thing if you've not been forgiven by Jesus. It's a wonderful thing if you have been. Um, they said, though, that they sentenced him to death, but what they did was they that he was made to appear like one who was crucified on the cross, but they but that Gabriel came down and rescued the prophet, brought him to heaven, and they put an infidel in his place actually died. Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross, so therefore they reject the resurrection. Um, they don't believe that man, man needed God to atone for his sins. They believe that man can atone for his own sins. That is what any religion outside of Christianity teaches, folks. Teaches, they all teach that you can atone for your own sins. That you can be good enough. Now you've got to make some big changes because there's a big scale out there that's, that somebody's measuring measuring uh, your good deeds versus your bad deeds. You better get with it because you don't know how much time you have to make sure the scales might tip over so that you may be able to go to heaven. This is what religion teaches you. This is what, what the Muslim faith teaches. Is that man must atone for his own sins. He must be good enough. Um... They, uh, they believe that Isa, Jesus, is, out of all the prophets, including Muhammad, is the one that Allah is going to send back on Judgment Day to be a part of judging all, which is interesting. It's interesting that, I mean, it seems like that would be a big deal, to come back and be a part of judging all the dead. If, if the greatest of all the prophets would be Muhammad, it seems like that's the one that would be, would be a part of this. But yet, their faith, the Quran, tells them that Isa is the one that, that's going to do that. That he'll come back and defeat the Antichrist to kill the wild boar, which will bring disaster. Um, now, we'll come back to that here uh, in just a little while. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about how Islam, how Islam was spread. Uh, it was 570. 570 A.D. when Muhammad was born. And at that point, Christendom had spread from the Middle East all along North Africa and a lot of Europe. But where we stand, this, would be a, this is a land of, of pagans, a land of, of Native, Native Americans or whoever was here during that time. Uh, they, they were pagans that were here. Much of Europe, all really almost all of the West, it was a land of pagans. Christianity during this time, it was a Middle Eastern religion that was spreading slowly around the world. It, well, it had spread. It had spread all, um, all around. But, um, uh, and, 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 and by the way, it's important for you to understand, though, though uh, it may be reported on TV, particularly if you like to watch BBC, it's important, it's important sometimes not just to watch American news. I challenge you to watch BBC, to, to read read some of the newspapers in other countries to gain a, a vantage point of the way the world views uh, America. And, 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 uh, and you might find out that you're not really the center of the universe. Um, but uh, as, we, as you look back and you see the way that Christianity was, was spread, it, it, Christianity is an Eastern religion, just like just like um, 
uh, I mean, Islam is, a, is an Eastern religion. Uh, Judaism is an Eastern religion. Uh, Confucianism, Taoism, these are Eastern religions. And, and though we feel and others will say that Christianity is just a thing of the West, it is not a thing of the West. In fact, Christianity is growing faster in the East than it is in the West. If anything, Christianity has plateaued to a degree in America and in the UK and in parts of the West. Now, I don't believe that it's going to stay that way. I believe God is stirring some things. We're seeing, we're seeing seeds of revival and seeds of awakening that's taking place in the West. And so I reject, I reject the notions that we're going to continue to be on a plateau or a decline in Christianity in, in the West. But the reality remains in Africa, uh, in India, in China, in Russia, I mean, in the Middle East, Christianity is growing by leaps and by bounds. It is an Eastern the Bible is an Eastern book, and it's very important that you get trained to not just look at it through, through Western eyeglasses, but that you try to read it and understand what the culture was back then and, and how it, it, what, what the stories meant within their culture and time, and then try to transport it to you and to our day so that we understand what, how to apply it. But during this time, again, this where Islam was in the in. In the Arabian Peninsula, Christendom was, was, was all around. But before his death, and he gathered an army to go out and conquer the world for Allah, he died in 632. And within 80 years of that, within 80 years, the Muslim Empire was in almost all of the Middle East, all of North Africa, Cyprus, and most of Spain. And if you projected another 100 years into the future, you can add Sicily, Sardinia, Corsica, Crete, and southern Italy. Okay? All right. Now here's the thing. I mean, we're we're going to talk just a little bit about the Crusades. Just, just a bit here. And uh, the reality of what took place the, in the Christian Crusades. But, but you must know that for hundreds of years before then, uh, that the, the Muslims, uh, Islam was growing, and it was growing by bloody, bloody um, fights. Uh, it was, it was a, it was rough. It was rough what happened. Um, the, the, the Crusades, uh, a bit. It, it was, it was, it was ugly on both sides. It was bloody on both sides. But, but here's the thing: is it was not unprovoked, and, and there. Again, there's, I mean, as you look at the Crusades, particularly the mid, the middle, and the end, I mean, there were so many atrocities taking place for the name of Jesus. And especially when they started turning upon themselves. When they, in, in Constantinople, when they, when they went and, and they started killing, they started killing those who were Eastern Orthodox. You know, because there was a fight between the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so they started killing people on their own same side. And even as they started killing the heretics uh, uh, within, within Catholicism, within Christianity. It got really, really ugly. The Inquisitions, all of that stuff was horrible. But, but don't, don't be deceived to think that it was unprovoked. Don't be deceived to think that the, the, Muslims, that the Muslims and the growth of Islam you know, was just about them spreading 
their great culture and science all over. It was bloody battles where they went in and they killed, murdered, raped. It was horrible what took place. Eventually, eventually a, a, a pope stood up and, and declared it was time to send crusaders over to save the Holy Land. And, and again, just, just quickly here, there, there are some who would say, well, it was all about colonialism. It was all about imperialism. It was all about going and, and capturing new land so that then they would have servitude to bring treasure and riches back, you know, back to, back to Rome. Guys, that's not, that's not the truth at all. Because if that were the case, they had about a couple, a couple of centuries that they would have gone next door to Spain, to the Moors there, the, the Islamic territory there, which was far richer in resources and far closer for them to go and to reclaim that. It wasn't until people said, people said look, the Holy Land, and that they're desecrating even the tomb of Jesus Christ, there were knights who, who rose up and said, we'll go. Now, a part of that is there was some deception that came from the Pope. Now, I don't know if he knew he was deceived or not, but he proclaimed, he said, look, if you go to save the Holy Land, you'll be absolved of all of, their sin, of all of your sins. And so that certainly was motivation to go to know that you would, you would be declared, you, know, you would not have to go to purgatory, you certainly wouldn't go to hell, you know, don't pass, go, don't collect $200 go directly to hell is what was being told to them. But what you had, though, is it, like in, if you compare it to even like World War II, where we sent many of our young, our young sons, you know, uh, barely, barely, I mean, some teenagers, some young 20s to go and, and many of them to be, to be slaughtered. In this case, it was actually, it was the Lord's and it was the ones who had things to lose. And many of them, they actually became bankrupt and lost everything to go and to try to, to rescue the Holy Land. And, and so, again, there were so many wicked things that took place on the side of Christians being crusaders. Um, but just, just be able to weigh that in your mind to know that it was not unprovoked. Islam was a religion that was defined by its founder, Muhammad, as one that we are to go and we are, we are to implement Islam over the entire world by force. By force. Now today, um, and there's, wow, there's just so much, so much to share um, about uh, What's happened over these last few centuries? Um, there's two primary uh, uh, categories of Muslims. There's the Sunnis and there's the Shiites. The Sunnis make up 80% of all Muslims, and the Shiites around 10 to 15%. And then there's a whole a whole bunch of others that would be would be smaller sects within within Islam, and. Uh, um, they're called the Ummah, the, the, uh, uh, what we call, we call the universal church. Those who would be universally Muslims, they call the Ummah. And it's, it's, it, from the beginning, it was supposed to be united and all under, all under one caliph, you know, uh, would be their, their primary leaders. But just like, just like Christianity has, has had, they've had all kinds of split, splits and splinters. And a lot of a lot of the uh, fights that took place even before the Crusades, when when fights were going, when they were trying to take back over 
uh, countries uh, that were being won, um, uh, especially the Byzantines, the, 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 the Romans who lived in, uh, in, in the West, I'm excuse me, in the East, um, that many times it was when they would partner up with another Islamic group and they would fight the other Islamic group to try to take them over. And that's something that we're not, we're not that we've seen even here. Um, uh, here's, here's a few things about, about the Sunnis. Um, again, 80% of all Muslims that predominate in countries like Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, uh, their name comes from the word Sunnah, which refers to the tradition or the, the, the path of Islam. And the Sunnis follow the traditions of Islam. They seek to live their lives according to the pattern that was set by Muhammad. The Shiites um, predominate in countries like Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, and parts of Africa. They broke off from the main body of Muslims in the first centuries over a dispute over the succession of leadership following Muhammad's death. Because when Muhammad died, there was not a successor that he had he'd set up, and uh, so it caused all kinds of problems. They, uh, they believed that the successor should come through Muhammad's bloodline, and the Sunnis, by contrast, believed the leadership should elect him, and the Sunnis, of course, 80%, they're the ones who have gotten their way. Um, Sharia law uh, is, is where religious law is over your politics. It's, it's, it's all-encompassing. And so there, there are countries that they're under Sharia, Sharia law. Um, not all Middle Eastern countries practice Sharia. Um, some are secular governments, but the, the Taliban is an example of those who are Sharia-based rulers. Um, and it's normally under, under those regimes, those are, the, those are the ones who will be more committed to what would, what would be called jihad, which I'll explain in just a moment. Um, even today, non-Muslims are not allowed in Mecca or in Medina. And there's, 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 if you look at signs as you're traveling through on their interstates, you know, it's got, it has an off-ramp for, for non-Muslims that you are not allowed to go into those cities. Um, certainly not what some would call tolerance. Conversion to Islam is punished under Sharia law, is punishable by death. Being a proselyte in, in, a, in a country, you, you could actually be killed as well, trying to convince people to come to faith into an, in another faith, another religion other than Islam. Um, it's something that can be punishable by death. Uh, I remember, I've, I've used this illustration before, but the, uh, the, first, the first Muslim that I was a part of sharing the gospel with and seeing their heart opened by Jesus and being right there as, as they became a Christian, being a part of that, her name was Fatuma. Um, and uh, this was in Mombasa, Kenya. And, and I remember just telling the gospel. And, all, and I, I started hearing, because uh, Mombasa is an area, it's, it, it's an eastern port city of, of Africa. They're in central Africa. Uh, and it's, I mean, for all, for, for centuries, it's been an important port city. And so it had, with, even within Kenya, which Kenya would, they would call themselves a Christian country, Christian nation. But within Mombasa, there is, there's a, 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 there's a larger percentage 
of Muslims. And as Fatuma, as, as I could see that she was, she, I mean, she was ready and, and, and her heart was being changed. And when I asked her, I mean, are, you, are you ready to surrender your life to Jesus? She said, yes. And, and I knew, I knew what happened to Samoa. And they, in, in Kenya, they weren't killing them, you know, because they didn't have Sharia law. But they would beat them. Sometimes they'd be raped or they, they would burn their houses. They'd be fired. They'd be expelled from their villages. They'd burn their houses down. I mean, all kinds of things. They'd be cast out from the family at the very least. Well, Fatuma, are you sure? Are you sure? Do you, do you realize? I started saying, do you realize these things could happen to you, Fatuma? She said, I realize it. I said, are you sure that you want to surrender your life to Jesus? And she says, kneel, which is Swahili for yes. So, yes, you know, and so we prayed. And, and uh, I mean, I, I, the, the neat thing is, is, I mean, before she prayed, her heart had already been opened up, but it, and she just surrendered to Jesus as a result of his work and change in, in her life. And, and when she was baptized a few days later, she got rid of the name Fatuma. She took on a new name, and they said, what do you know, what do you want your new name to be? And she said, let it be Christian. How incredible is that? See, these folks in the Middle East, or even in Africa, and Indonesia, and India, Pakistan, I mean, they, they know that if they become a Christian, they might be killed. At the very least, it's going to be really rough. They don't have a comfortable Christian life. Um, God God desires for us to be a part of sending this message to them. Um, to those that are non-Muslims as well as those that are Muslims. And, I, and I'm going to lay a challenge uh, here at the end that there's probably somebody sitting here as an adult, student, maybe be a boy or a girl at this point in your life. And God's going to call you to a Muslim country Offer your life for the gospel. Jihad, this is a term that you're throwing around uh, within, uh, within American politics and the, the media. Um, Muslims, some Muslims will say there's something called a greater jihad and there's a lesser jihad. The greater jihad is what they would say is internal. It's the jihad, it's the, it's the struggle towards Walking in the way of Allah is what they, they would say, how they would do it. And so they'd say the greater jihad is that, in, in a way, it's like a, a dying of themselves so that they would, they would be faithful in following Allah, the greater jihad. Now, that strangely sounds like what we would call dying to self, crucifying the flesh. Um, but there is something that... Some would call the lesser jihad. And to some, when it's, when it's being spoken of politically, to speak of jihad does mean political annihilation of all infidels. And a taking over of all cultures, all countries, all cities, that it would come under Sharia law. Uh, there's, there's been uh, some, some, studies, some studies done. Um, I'm, I'm taking this from, from a book. Uh, a new book called The, the Grand Jihad, uh, but the, the, the poll uh, was to some Muslims, and they asked, they asked them, would you, basically, would you be in favor 
of, uh, of political jihad to where by force other countries and other peoples would be taken over. And, and the, the consensus from that would be that 10% of Muslims around the world would believe that yes, that we need to press forward by force and, and convert people to Islam and defeat the infidels and impose Sharia law everywhere, everywhere around the world. That would mean that 90% would not, would not believe and uh, would not be extremists. 90% of Muslims would not be ones who would say, yes, let's destroy, destroy all infidels, destroy all non-Muslims, destroy the great Satan, which, which some, some would call America or, or call the West. Um, but, interestingly enough, is, is the, the poll says that 60% said that they would be in favor of Sharia law being what they follow in whatever country they lived in. And so it is ingrained within, within Islam that you and everyone else should fall under the theocracy of Islam. Not a democracy, not a dictatorship, but a theocracy of, of Islam. Um, now again, just like we have what we would call cultural Christians, we've got folks who that they're not they're not really followers of Christ, they're not really worshippers of Christ. Their hearts have not been changed, but they're part of the culture of the church. Just like we have folks that are part of what religious Christianity is, there are many Muslims that they would consider them. I mean, they would be cultural. They'd be cultural Muslims. They would. They would not consider themselves devout. Maybe they don't even follow the five pillars. And uh, so, so as I, I say that, I want you to know that if, as you meet a Muslim neighbor, as you meet someone that, that prays in, in, uh, in the mosque uh, here in our city or in your city, wherever you're listening to this, um, the, many of them, they're gonna, most of them are cultural Christians. That I mean, they're, they're not extremists. They're not terrorists. They don't, they don't believe that... You should die if you're not a Muslim. Although some of them are devout in their, in their faith, but again, they still, they don't believe that it, it would need to be imposed upon, uh, upon others. They'll be evangelists for Islam, but they don't believe in, in the extremism. But part of the problem is, if, even if you look at, that, look at the numbers, and it's, it's, it, uh, it's estimated there's 1.4 billion Muslims in the world. That a 10% of them would be extreme in their views. It's about 140 million. And so, so I, I, it's, it's important that we know that there are people out there in the world. So it's a, a minority, but there are people out there that if you do not follow their theocracy, they believe that you must convert or you must die. Islam and Christianity as quickly, one of the things that that they do is they uh, they 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 reject the idea of original sin and they use a term that they would call original forgiveness. Basically they don't believe in the human condition like we would define it. They don't believe that that man is dead in his sin, but or even probably wouldn't even agree with the term corrupt. In his nature, 
they would say he's fully able, fully able to follow the ways of Allah, fully able to, to um, ask, ask Allah for forgiveness and to begin walking in the way of Allah. Um, and, but what that does is, is uh, if, if you choose God and you do the good works, then you just hope that you get enough good works on your side and that Allah will decide. There is no certainty at all within within the faith of, of Islam. Now, among some extremists, you know, uh, among in, in jihad, you know, there are some that would say if you give your life, you know, to try to defeat the infidels, that that would be that would be a, a, a it would be confirmed that that you would go uh, directly to heaven to be with uh, uh, with Allah. Um, but even as you compare Islam and, and Judaism, uh, what you have is is on one one you have Father Abraham, and on the other you, you have Father Abraham. But in in Islam you've got Father Ishmael, and Judaism you've got Father Isaac. And so within 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 Judaism, Isaac and Jacob they're the heroes, and. Within Islam, Ishmael and Muhammad, they're the heroes, they're the prophets, they're the ones you look to, you bank on them, you anchor your lives upon what they have said, and you follow their ways. In Islam, you follow Muhammad's teaching. Judaism, you, you follow Moses' teaching. In Islam, you make a pilgrimage to Mecca. In Judaism, you make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But, but here's the reality, you guys. As we, as we wrap all this up, is to know that the answer's it's not found in it's not found in Isaac and it's not found in Ishmael. It's not found in Moses and it's not found in Muhammad. It's only found in the real promised son of Abraham. It wasn't Isaac and Jacob. Those guys, those guys were as densest as we are. Those guys were sinful as we are. Muhammad, man, you talk about a bloody guy. Sinful. They could not be the heroes of the story. They could not be the answer. The real answer is, is Jesus. See, with, with Isaac and, and, and with Muhammad, I mean, Isaac and Ishmael, with Moses and Muhammad, they're all sons of Adam. They're all sons of a fallen man and woman. They're sinners just like you and me, corrupted, dead, not just broken. I want to take you guys to Romans 5. Verse 12 says this. And by, by the way, if we read this, this is, they will, they'll actually use, Muslims will use this as an example of why they don't believe in Christianity because they think it's ridiculous that God would die. That it's ridiculous that God would become a man. And, and I want you to know, some of y'all, you're cultural Christians, or you've been raised in church all your life, and you don't know that there's a whole world out there that thinks you're stupid to think that God would become man, and he would die for you. But just like, pull up your bootstraps and do better. But what the Bible tells us is, we can't do better. We can't be good enough. Because God is so far above and so different from us, we can't reach him. He must reach us. Read this from, from uh, this passage. Therefore, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death was spread to all men because all sin, 
For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. And even those, and by the way, by the way, you know who's in between Adam and Moses? Ishmael and Isaac. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So it's like the mistake of Adam is not like the cross of Jesus. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Guys, it all goes back to what your worldview is. It all goes back to your vantage point of the human condition. Am I, am I okay? Am I just a little wounded? Or am I absolutely dead and helpless in my sin? Religion must proclaim that you're something different than dead and helpless in your sin. It must proclaim that you're okay. It must proclaim that you're able to, to, to just get your giddy up going and to do better. And that God will look down and he will measure it out. You see, Islam is about, it's about the kingdom of Islam. But Christianity is about the kingdom of God. The main character in Islam is Muhammad. The main character, main character in Christianity is Jesus. In Islam, Muhammad conquered his enemies. In Christianity, Jesus died for his enemies. Islam is about what you could call orthopraxy, which means your right actions. Christianity is about orthodoxy, which is about right worship. Islam and other religions states, if you do things well enough, you'll become the right person. If, if you will choose to do the right things and don't do the wrong things, it will change your heart and it will change your position God. That's what all religion, including Islam, says. But Christianity says, uh-uh. Having a change of your heart and a change of your position is what will change your action. Is, orthodox, is orthopraxy important? Is, being, is, being, is doing good works, is that important for us to do? Yes, it is. God wants us to take the good news and be the good news to our entire world. That's what Jesus did. He came and lived out the gospel. Said, you can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. Now I'm going to go, and I'm sending you out to be my messengers of peace and to tell people about me and to be good news. So yes, it's important. But if we confuse those two and think that I've got to change what I do to change who I am, we will never have a change of heart. It's not until our heart changes. And so... That message is important. It's important that you, if you're a Christian in here, that you realize you don't have to do anything else to please God. You don't have to do anything else to receive forgiveness of your sins. You don't have to do anything else 
for God to smile. Because He smiles upon you because Jesus has placed His righteousness over you. And you're declared perfect even though we're not. must take this message from Muslims and all non-Muslims. Guys, there's about 6,000 unreached people groups in our world. And it starts right here in Huntsville, but I'm telling you, there's going to be some of you could be even in, in the womb right now. Some here, some that aren't even born yet, that God is going to send us all over the world. For short term, and some of y'all, you're going to give your entire life. And for some that may even be listening to me, you may give your life. You may lose your life. Because you're following what your Savior did. He gave His life for the enemies of the cross. And He's going to call some of us that we lose our lives for enemies of not, why? Why not? And really, to bring it back to here, God wants you to give your life for the gospel. If you live in Huntsville, Alabama, and He calls you to remain here in Huntsville, Alabama, He calls you to still forsake everything that those around you may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. How, uh, how is it Practically, that we can love a Muslim or share the gospel with them. Let me share this with you as I pray. Encourage them because they, they point to the books of Moses, the books of David, and the gospels of Jesus, as well as the Quran as being, their, as being holy and sacred. Encourage them. Though, though Islam says it's corrupt, they're still commanded to read them. So, you don't have to go the corrupt route. Just say, you know what? Did you know the Quran encourages you to read about Jesus? The Isa? And it's got the New Testament, the part of Jesus is called the Injil. Did you know that? You're like, oh, do I have to remember that word? No, I don't remember. I have to remember it. So you know the Quran tells you you're supposed to read about your prophet Jesus? Do that. They've, they've told that they, they can't trust it, but yet they're still supposed to read it. Muhammad taught it was corrupted. He said that it was, I mean, it was, it was based upon the Septuagint. Uh, his, his, his comments were based upon uh, his uh, interaction with the Old Testament and the New Testament there. But, but I'm telling you, and, and this, this may just be a seed to plant in you, but he questioned the validity of document and yet he created his own document that then everyone else said this is this is the one that's the real one and yet the copies and the manuscripts that he had the copies of the of the Bible that he had were not the oldest of the of the manuscripts in night between 1947 and 1956 in 11 caves around Qumran near the West Bank the Dead Sea Scrolls were and listen, guys, we should just be really confident in understanding something here. And if you compare, you compare these that they were older than what Muhammad had. You compare to what he would have had. 
and 99% of the stuff is going to be the exact same thing. 99%. As they continue to compare those, these oldest ones, these manuscripts that were found in the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, what they call them, to what had been found before, and some of them were centuries older than that, there was like less than a 1% discrepancy from them, and none of them had any theological implications. None of them. Now you may just say, I don't want to believe the Bible. I reject the Bible. I don't think it's real. You have that option, but I'm telling you, you can trust the validity and the historicity of the Bible. I was in Mombasa, Kenya, and one of our drivers that took us around as we went out and were evangelizing the area. I was talking with him. He was, I found out that he was a Muslim. Now check this out. He was a Muslim. And I asked him, I said, I said, you believe that Isa was a prophet, right? Oh, yes, Isa is one of our prophets. And, uh, and I said, well, what? I said, do you know what it, what it takes to disqualify someone as a prophet? And he says, oh, yes. They can never tell a lie. They can never tell a lie. And I said, now, now you're encouraged to read the Injil, right? To read about what, what said about Jesus, right? He says, yes, I'm supposed to read. I said, have you ever read it? No, I've never read it. And I said, well, can I share with you what Jesus said about him, about himself? He said, yes, share with me. And I said, this comes from the biography of John, in the 14th chapter, verse 6, where he said, um, I am, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And I said, I said, again, I said, what's the one thing a prophet can't do? He said, he cannot lie. And I said, this guy who you say is a prophet said, he's the way, the truth, and the life that no one can get to God except through him. And I said, do you think that must be true? He says, yes, that must be true. And I said, well, let, let me share one more thing with you. He said, out of still the biography of John, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, 27, Jesus said, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And then it says the Jews picked up stones against him to stone him. And I said, do you, do you realize that he was saying that he was equal with he was equal with God and and that he is the one that gives people eternal life? He's like, sounds that way. A couple days later, he surrendered to Jesus. And he went home, thought, prayed. God changed his heart. God showed him that Jesus was not just a prophet. He's God. The main thing that's going to reach Muslims and non-Muslims is the relief that grace brings. It's understanding that we cannot be good enough. We cannot achieve it on our own. 